Our gospel reading this morning is from Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Mark 2, verses 13 uh, through 17. And uh, this is, again, early on in Jesus' ministry. And we see him uh, teaching and calling people and interacting um, with tax collectors, sinners, and Pharisees. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and we thank you for your word which you have given to us. We ask that you would help us this morning to hear your word. Help us to understand what we hear. Help us to understand what it means and what it means for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. says, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, were, uh, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Turning then to our New Testament reading, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious... How much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who had put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with an ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We often quote Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, where God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And the question I have for us today is do we believe that's true? Do we believe that uh, God's thoughts are not our thoughts and that his ways are not our ways and that his thoughts 
and his ways are higher and better than our thoughts and our ways. Do we believe that? I think that's an easy uh, question to answer yes to and not mean it. <laughs> like, oh, of course, of course I believe that God's ways are not my ways and that his ways are better than mine. But that's not the kind of question that you answer on a paper and pencil test. That's a question you answer in the test of life. And so as we have decisions to make, that's when we're answering that question. Do we actually believe that his way is better than our way? That it's different than our way? Too often we think, well, if I were God, I would do it this way, so that must be what God is doing, and there we go. (laughs) His ways are not our ways. He doesn't do things the way we do them. But he does call us to follow him. And then it says that we're to be transformed into his image. And so as we continue to follow him, we are continuing to seek what his way is and to be shaped by his way. And it will conflict with our way. And if you don't notice God's way conflicting with your way, you're not following him. It conflicts with our way. His ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts, but his ways and his thoughts are better. I hope that you believe this, not just up here, but that you believe this as you go out in everything that you do. That is all by way of introduction to something we read in Genesis chapter 31 as we interact with people like Jacob and Rachel and Laban. And this is a story where we're going to pick up right in the middle of this story. A story of a family that has had some issues over the years. And uh, they have had some issues, and yet we follow their story because it's a story of a family that God has said, I'm going to do things in you, with you, through you, to bless you and to bless the whole world. This is why we're following their story. And we have continued to see uh, some of the issues that they still have. Often, because they are not following God's way, but their own way. And in this way, boy, can we relate to them. So, uh, where we are in the story is, this is, as I say, Genesis 31, starting in verse 32. And uh, what we looked at last week is we had Abraham, who has Isaac, who has Jacob. Jacob did his brother wrong. You have to look for details of that on your own. And then his brother wants to kill him, so he runs away. He has now spent 20 years away from home. And what we saw last week is it's time to come back home. We're going to look later at him actually coming back home. But for now, he's still just on the way. But what we saw last week is that when he left to go home, he left to go home without telling his father-in-law he was leaving. He just left. And then we talked about there was a Hebrew expression that means to deceive, where it says he stole Laban's heart. That actually appears throughout the story again this morning. Uh, and there's a theme of stealing that kind of runs through the whole thing. But stealing and deception and all of those kinds of things run through because this is what's happening in this family. We have seen Jacob 
before he ever got there, deceiving his father. We saw when he got to Laban's house, he decides he's going to marry one of his daughters, and yet Laban deceives him, and he marries the wrong daughter. Then he ends up marrying the other daughter as well, and having children by the two of them as well as their two servants, which causes some problems as well. And then um, when it comes time to leave, he just leaves, stealing his father-in-law Laban's heart. This is where we pick up the story. Laban finds out, and he's not happy. Here we go. On the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. Taking his relatives with him, he pursued Jacob for seven days and caught up with him in the hill country of Gilead. Then God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream at night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country of Gilead when Laban overtook him. And Laban and his relatives camped there too. Then Laban said to Jacob, What have you done? You've deceived me, and you've carried off my daughters like captives in war. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why didn't you tell me so I could send you away with joy and singing to the music of timbrels and harps? You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. You have done a foolish thing. I have the power to harm you. But last night, the God of your father said to me, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now you have gone off because you long to return to your father's household. Why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered Laban. I was afraid because I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force. But if you find anyone who has your gods, that person shall not live. In the presence of our relatives, see for yourself whether there is anything of yours here with me. And if so, take it. Now, Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the gods. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants. But he found nothing. After he came out of Leah's tent, he entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them inside her camel's saddle and was sitting on them. Laban searched through everything in the tent, but found nothing. Rachel said to her father, Don't be angry, my lord, and I cannot stand up in your presence. I'm having my period. So he searched, but could not find the household gods. Jacob was angry. And took Laban to task. What is my crime? He asked Laban. How have I wronged you that you hunt me down? Now that you have searched through all my goods, what have you found that belongs to your household? Put it here in front of your relatives and mine. Let them judge between the two of us. I have been with you for 20 years now. Your sheep and goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flocks. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself. And you demanded payment from me for whatever was stolen by day or night. This was my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime and the cold at night, and sleep fled from my eyes. It was like this for the 20 years I was in your household. I worked for you for 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks, and you changed my wages 10 times. The God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been with me. You would surely have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands, and last night he rebuked you. 
Laban answered Jacob, The women are my daughters. The children are my children, and the flocks are my flocks. All you see is mine. Yet what can I do today about these daughters of mine, or about the children they have borne? Come now, let's make a covenant, you and I, and let it serve as a witness between us. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. He said to his relatives, gather some stones. And they took stones and piled them in a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jegar Sahadutha, and Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. That is why it was called, and that is why it was called Galid. It was also called Mizpah because he said, may the Lord keep watch between you and me when we are away from each other. If you mistreat my daughters, or if you take any wives besides my daughters, even though no one is with us, remember that God is a witness between you and me. Laban also said to Jacob, here is this heap and here is this pillar I have set up between you and me. This heap is a witness and this pillar is a witness that I will not go past this heap to your side to harm you and that you will not go past this heap and pillar to my side to harm me. May the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob took an oath in the name of the fear of his father Isaac. He offered a sacrifice there in the hill country and invited his relatives to a meal. After they had eaten, they spent the night there. Early the next morning, Laban kissed his his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then he left and returned home. Well, did you hear it? Oh, I told you this family had some issues. Boy, don't they? So I mentioned when we started this whole series that one of the things we're trying to do as we go through this is not to cover every detail of every story because you just can't. There's too much. And so you may have questions that go unaddressed today, and that's just how it is. But what we're trying to do is cover uh, the story, follow the storyline as we go through to see uh, how God is working with his people as we go through all this and then what that means for us today. And so with that, begin back at the beginning. Laban is told that Jacob has fled. Say you're in his position. You find out that this is what's happened. You cool with that? Or you get angry? That here your son-in-law who has your daughters, your grandchildren, a lot of flocks that, yes, are technically his, but you've kind of all been together. He's just taken all of it and left and gone far, far away without telling you. You good with that or not? He's not, and I think that's understandable. He is uh, very angry about what happens, and he chases him down. And who knows what his plan is when he gets there? <laughs> we don't find that out. What we find out instead is that he has this interaction with God in a dream the night before he meets up with Jacob. And what does God say to do? Be careful. Be careful that you don't say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now, I don't think that this means no words at all. Otherwise, the rest of what we see here is in direct contrast to that. I think what it means instead is when you catch up with him, I don't want you to take matters into your own hands. I don't want you condemning him for what he's done. Cursing him or punishing him because of that. 
That's not your place. Now, we'll tell you, this is again, God's ways are not our ways. As when we have somebody who's done us wrong, what do we want to do? Chase them down and make sure they know. <laughs> and not only do they need to know that it's wrong, but they need to suffer. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just not fair. And God says, don't do that. But when we hear that, we tend to then swing the opposite direction and say, oh, so you're saying what they did is fine? That it was right? That it was good? And God's like, no, I'm not saying that either. And so you're not to reward Jacob either. So no, you don't punish him for what he did, but you don't reward him either. I'm not saying that what he did was right. But I'm saying, Laban... <laughs> is I'm the one who will deal with Jacob, not you. Do you know how much faith and trust it takes to allow God to be the one who deals with stuff like that? That's a big step. Because this is not what comes naturally to us, is it? What comes naturally to us is what came naturally to Laban. I'm chasing after him, and I will make sure he suffers. <laughs> But then he doesn't. He doesn't because God has come to him in the night and said, don't say anything either good or bad to him. And yet, when he does meet up with him, he lets him know, I don't like what you did. I don't think it was okay, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Isn't that interesting? I'm not going to do anything about it. Does Laban have a legitimate complaint? Yes, he does. And not just because, hey, you left without saying goodbye, which is bad enough, but he's like, you also stole my household gods. Jacob doesn't know that somebody actually did, but it's his favorite wife. Just even that term should clue you into some of the problems that we're not addressing today. Rachel has stolen the household gods. A variety of reasons why she may have done this. Nobody's really sure. May have been a claim to inheritance from her father. May have been just a way of punishing her father for the way she felt mistreated. May have been because she was trying to hedge her bets. And so, I don't know, I'm going off with Jacob and his God, but maybe bring along the gods from back home as well. We don't know. Or for whatever reason, she brings them along and Laban is understandably upset. That not only have you stolen my heart by stealing my daughters and my livestock and my grandchildren without telling me, but also you took the household gods. He's got a legitimate complaint. But here is the one point that Jacob thinks he at least can ha have a place to stand and defend himself. You ever been in this position where you've completely done wrong to somebody but they overstep what they call you on. And so you're like, oh, I didn't do that. And so you're like, well, let's just ignore all the parts that I did do. That's where Jacob goes here. And you can hear his righteous indignation. He does not talk about uh, the running away from, um, from Laban with the daughters, except to say, oh, well, I was afraid that you were going to do bad to me. So it's because I think horrible things about you that I did what I did. So it's not really that bad, is it? 
But then he spends most of his time saying, no, we didn't take your household gods. You are falsely accusing us. Go ahead, have a look. And then he does. He has a look, and the buildup is spectacular. As the, uh, the author tells us he goes into Jacob's tent. He goes into Leah's tent. He goes into the tent of the female servants, but he finds nothing. And then he goes into, uh, he comes out of Leah's tent, and he enters Rachel's tent. And it doesn't tell you what he happens next, but it kind of has that little commercial break pause, that cliffhanger moment, and says, now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them inside her camel saddle and was sitting. It makes you wait for it. And then even uh, so, she's not caught. She's not discovered. You say, well, then why even tell us this part? And I think uh, there are two main reasons that we are told this part. I think one, it's to let us know that Laban really did have a legitimate complaint. And two, that we can see that Rachel is as messed up as the rest of the family. We have seen Laban deceiving Jacob. We've seen Jacob deceiving Laban. We've seen a lot of deception and a lot of stealing all the way around. And now here we have Jacob's favorite wife. And we're like, oh, but she's the good one, right? No. No, we see her stealing and deceiving. And we're like, oh, well, that's okay. So everybody's in this together. And this is the mess that they're all in. Of course, because Laban is unable to find what he's looking for, Jacob now really thinks he has a leg to stand on and unloads on Laban. You accuse me of taking your gods. Let me tell you the problem I have with you, mister. And he goes after him. The past 20 years, I've been putting up with your stuff. And now you're going to hear about it. And so he does. He lets him know. And the way that uh, Jacob kind of paints the picture is, I've been doing everything right. Everything I've been doing is right. You have been the one who has been bad to me. You're trying to make me look bad, but really you're the one who's doing bad. The only things that I've ever done is just in response to what you've done first. Does this sound familiar? Like how every child grows up and you say... (laughs) What did you do? And the first answer they have is not what they did, but what somebody else did first. Does that sound familiar? Either from your own childhood or those of your children or grandchildren. Maybe not even just from childhood, but even today. What have you done? Well, it was the woman that you put here. She gave me the fruit and I ate. What have you done? Well, it was a serpent that came along and deceived me. Jacob, what have you done? Well, no, it was Laban. Laban's the one who did stuff to me first. That was the thing. Sound familiar? Maybe even replay the events of this last week in your own life. And maybe recognize a familiar pattern there as well. We come to our time of confession on Sunday morning, and maybe your first thought is, Well, no, 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 everything I did was fine. It was always just in response to somebody else. It's what they did was the real problem. We see that this is a messed up family. But I don't think that our response is is supposed to be to look at them and look down on them. I think we see how messed up they are um, 
displayed for us because we are supposed to be able to relate to them. To see ourselves in these kinds of messed up relationships and say, oh, yeah. Yep, I have been there. I have acted just like that. And so where do they leave things? They leave things with piles of rocks. They pile up a bunch of rocks as a way of being a witness. You know what it's a witness of, though? It is not a witness of a good relationship, is it? It really is a witness of their broken relationship. As they are going their separate ways, they have both demonstrated and now verbalized, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. I won't trust you. We're going to go our separate ways. And what we're going to do is we're going to ask that while we're away from each other and I can't keep my eye on you, that God is going to keep his eye on you. And it is kind of a threatening way that this is put out there. This is not a lovely blessing of, oh, may God watch over you and keep you safe. It is, may God watch over what you're doing so you don't do wrong by me anymore, <laughs> even when I'm not there to stop you. That's what this is about. And so you hear Laban say, uh, it was also called Mizpah because he said, may the Lord keep watch between you and me when we are away from each other. If you mistreat my daughters, or if you take any wives, wives besides my daughters, even though no one is with us, remember that God is a witness between you and me. You hear it? And then he goes farther and he says, this heap is a witness, this pillar is a witness that I will not go past this heap to your side to harm you and that you will not go past this heap and pillar to my side to harm me as though in the future you're, want, you're going to want to come and try to get revenge from something I've done to you. And so you're going to come back and try to harm me and you're going to come by this pile of rocks on your way to come to me. And when you see it, you're going to remember we have a deal. I'm not coming to your side to mess with you. You don't come to my side to mess with me. This is the uh, things have gotten so bad in the back seat of the car that you now have the line here and you are not allowed to cross the line to mess with your sibling anymore. We're done with that. You look out your own window. You sit on your hands if you need to. I'm paraphrasing. But this is the idea. Like we can't get along anymore. And so we are going our separate ways completely. This is really a tragic story of brokenness within a family that didn't have to be broken like this. The reason that they are broken like this is also not because God isn't working with them. He is. We have seen God continue to show up in Jacob's life. He appeared in what we saw last week and said, hey, I'm the God of Bethel, the same one that appeared to you when you were leaving home. And now as you're on your way back, I'm still with you. You know this, right? Jacob even says here, the only reason I prospered when I was with you is not because of my own scheming. It's because God has been with me through all of this. Does that mean Jacob's been doing everything right? Absolutely not. He has continued to scheme and scrounge and try to grab for everything he can. But he knows it's not because of that that he's uh, prospered the way he has. Because God has been with him and has promised to bless the whole world through him. That is the reason that he has uh, had the success he has. 
Has God been with Laban? Yeah, he has. He's still been working with him. He shows up the night before Laban may be about to make a huge mistake. He says, don't do it. Be careful. Watch yourself. Same kind of thing that happens when uh, Cain and Abel. Cain is mad and wants to kill his brother, and God shows up to Cain and says, watch yourself. Don't do that. God is still at work with these people, even though they are still not getting everything right. That ought to give us some hope, right? That maybe God's still working with us, even when we're not getting everything right. And of course, Paul talks about this kind of thing. He's like, that doesn't mean just go on and get everything wrong. (laughs) Things would sure go a lot easier for Jacob if he would get things right every now and then. Things would sure go a lot easier for Laban if he would get things right every now and then. The reason things are messed up in their family is because as we started with, where God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, right? Laban and Jacob have the ways of people. They're not following the ways of God. They're following the ways that are come normally and naturally to all of us. That's why when we read their story, we go, does this make you mad? Would this happen to you? Would it make you mad? You go, yeah, that make me mad. You want to go bring justice to them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm in perfect position to do that. That's how we feel. And God's way is very different. Just don't do it. Don't do it. We read in 2 Corinthians today and talked about to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. When we're reading through the Old Testament, I think that's what this is talking about. We don't really understand what we're reading until we understand it in light of Jesus. When we contrast our ways to God's ways, where do we see that most clearly but in Jesus? We don't have a pile of rocks to look at to show us why we can't trust each other. We have a cross that we look at to show us how to respond when people who can't be trusted do us wrong. If Jesus responds in the way of people, what does he do? when he is betrayed and wrongly accused. Lash out, fight back, seek revenge. Sure, who wouldn't? He wouldn't. And so he goes along silently, knowing he's going to his death. But he goes for good reason. He goes for our benefit to take the penalty and the punishment of our sin on him. But he also goes trusting in the way of God, even in the face of death. And so, death is not the end. Not for him and not for those who believe in him, who trust in him, who walk with him.
It is an unnatural way to hang on a cross after being wrongly accused and to say, Father, forgive them. That is unnatural. But maybe supernatural would be the better word. This is the way that we are called to follow. Jesus comes upon Levi at the tax collector's booth and says, follow me. And he does. He gives up the ways of people and follows the way of God in the person of Jesus. If you hear this call today to you, may you respond like Levi. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.